Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm here with my friend, Nicholas Zork. Welcome to Spectrum's Community Conversation. Thanks, Alex. Good to be here. I want to introduce you briefly, um, but before that, I know you as a friend and a fellow graduate of Andrews University. Nick Zork is a singer, songwriter, composer, composer, music director, and collaborative artist. And um, I just have to say that I'm so impressed with the way that you've mixed uh, together a career that uh, keeps you involved in um, the New York music scene, uh, connected to a local Adventist community, um, and also connected to our alma mater um, as a professor and, and shaper of their music program as well. So um, I'm curious, what keeps you going in all of that? Well, I've always been sort of um, stubbornly um, committed to the idea that things are more connected than we're often told, you know, um, uh, I'm going to not remember the name of this author, but a great liturgical historian might have been Paul Bradshaw. Um, said there are lumpers and splitters, you know, in history, people that tend to look that look for broad patterns and lump things together, and then people that will point out how two things that are often, you know, conflated are in fact quite different. Um, by way of analogy, just kind of philosophically, I think I'm a lumper, <laughs> and uh, it's not because I don't. Um, enjoy that uh, really diving into the details of things. But I think I, I just tend to operate, you know, artistically and philosophically either at like three inches or 30,000 feet. And at three inches, I, you know, you appreciate that the differences between things and the particularities of, you know, a musical form or, you know, um, a, a work of art or a, a meal you're eating, you know, it, it's very particular. But then at 30,000 feet, you know, you kind of see how a lot of things that are categorized as separate are, in fact, related. And so for me, um, music is a very particular thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm very much, uh, I resonate with particular songs and sounds and musical experiences. But when I really step back and I kind of contemplate what's happening in music making and music clubs um, on university campuses, and uh, in church gatherings, I see that there's a lot of similarity. You know, I see a lot. In particular, you know, it's um, there. There is a community cultivation that happens uh, through shared artistic practice, and and I think that that there can be different. Um, there can be very different philosophical assumptions at work in many ways, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of similarities as well. And I'm, and that kind of community cultivation piece is kind of a, it's a connecting thread between all the music practices in which I'm involved. Yeah, that's great. I actually, let's uh, talk about that community cultivation um, as we go along in this conversation. But I want to um, 
go back to something that you just said about moving between the uh, the three inch level and the uh, thirty thousand foot level, because we're talking in the context of the coronavirus pandemic and subsequent quarantine, and I'm curious how your creative thinking has been affected by all this. How has it um, moved you in new ways, both good or bad? Um, Because I think a lot of folks in our community are trying to wrestle with what this means and how do we make sense of it as as a kind of connected, loosely connected, you know, um, Adventist meaning group. So um, how do you kind of move between the really fine grain involved in it, you know, every day affected by it as a, a human like the rest of us, but also how do you think about it uh, creatively? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I'll give an example. You know, I we uh, when we first realized, and it was actually we, we realized this before that we were required um to uh, physically distance that we weren't going to be gathering uh, together in a, in a building for, uh, for worship on Sabbath mornings. And um, so we started figuring out ways that we could gather online. And we, we realized pretty quickly that, um, that we had a primary purpose in mind and that the primary purpose was uh, to connect with other people while we were physically distanced to not be socially disconnected. Um, yeah, because I think fundamentally liturgy is about communion with the divine and community with one another. It's, um, it's, a, it's about connection. And even though, you know, certain production values had to be um, uh, sacrificed, or, or even though we were prioritizing connection, which meant for us we meet on Zoom, uh, even though Zoom is a, a horrible platform um, to make music on, <laughs> and I'm a musician, you know, sort of, at the 30,000 foot level, I guess, we asked ourselves, you know, what is this, what are we really doing when we're getting together on a Saturday morning? And what we're really doing is we're gathering as a community. Yeah. So we're a community first, not, not a program. So that's sort of the 30,000 foot assessment that we did. And we, that was already our philosophy, but we really had to question it again, given the changes. But then at the three inch level, I mean, I, I have spent, this is not an exaggeration. And I, and you know me, I am given to, <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm given to exaggeration only in, only in the sense of, you know, putting a positive uh, lens on things maybe, but <laughs> I think I've probably spent 40 to 50 hours trying to dial in the sound of music on Zoom. So, like, wow. on the other hand, wow. you know, I mean, it might, it seriously might be that, and that's embarrassing to even say. <laughs> but, 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 but we haven't spent, as some communities have, just because we're doing a different approach, we haven't spent 40 to 50 hours. I think some communities are spending that a week producing videos, uh, videos to be shared. And they're great. A lot of these videos, they're, you know, they're capturing interviews with community members, they're recording um, music videos. We, we've spent a time at the sort of granular level trying to get Zoom to work, um, both for interaction and even for music. I figured out, you know, anyone can reach out to me if they want to know all the cr- insane things that I do. So I can actually play live in Zoom. So I play live because I think the live aspect is important for interaction. Yeah. But I can play with pre-recorded music, but I'm playing live. And that was, that is very hard to pull off. And I failed at it many, many times. And we, we finally got it to work, I think, uh, yesterday. Or oh, two days ago. congratulations. But, but, but it, 
there's been degrees of success with that over time. And that matters to me because, you know, I think the sound of music matters. Aesthetic detail matters within community. But at the 30,000-foot level, we, we remind ourselves, this is a community. And the aesthetic details are an important part of a larger whole. So I think, you know, for me, kind of going back and forth generally between, you know, the big picture and the granular detail just helps me remember that each granular detail is part of a larger whole, and that helps make sense of it as much as the details matter. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. That's well, example of kind of going back and forth between, you know, big picture and uh, I, I appreciate your commitment to um, the live music experience as part of the worship service there. And I know that you perform live around New York City and elsewhere um, for you know Adventist uh, gatherings <clears throat> across the country. Um, would you mind just talking a little bit about how that connects with the idea that you mentioned about community cultivation? Why? Um, is it important, do you think, for folks to gather? And how is that going to be, um, you know, how do we, how should we think about that in this age of the quarantine where that's the, our number one duty as, as responsible citizens is not to gather, not to endanger each other, but it's so important to maintaining community. How do you deal with that tension? Yeah, I mean, uh, shifting music um, online, that pivot is, has been really painful. Uh, it's been financially painful for, for, you know, a lot of artists. And, you know, because I have, you know, other, other work um, that has continued online teaching and, you know, uh, uh, my, my work with the church. And as a songwriter, you know, I'm writing songs that are being, you know, recorded and released and that, that, you know, that kind of, that, that can happen online, but, you know, many of the best musicians I know are, you know, their bread and butter is live performance. So financially to have, you know, every gig canceled, at least through the summer, it, it appears, it's just been financially devastating um, to them. And it's also, you know, I have to say, even as someone who focuses, you know, um, a lot of my music practices on, on songwriting. You know, when I write for a lot of music, that's not for our church context. And my favorite part of that, um, my favorite part of that is, is songwriting, but for me, it's just incomplete without the live experience. So, you know, I guess I go back and forth. Like my favorite thing about music is being together in, in a room and, and where the, the vibrations in the air are literally resonating in all of our bodies. You know, there's that sort of physical connection that um, helps us experience what it means to be a community. I think that th that is the other favorite. Um, that is my other favorite thing about music, the thing that resonates most with me. Other than the, other than creating the forms that can be appropriated uh, in that practice. You know, it's, it's those two things. And, you know, that, that practice um, has, uh, is not possible right now. And uh, it, I think it is, speaking of music, I think I hear my daughter's doing a lot of whistling. Is that super loud on your end? I can hear, yes. Uh, it's a, a, a beautiful light whistle. 
I can I can ask them to 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 whistle at a at a later time. I mean, I <laughs> I, I I always hesitate to tell my children to stop singing. Yeah, like, no, it's, I think it's. Um, I mean, but if it's not if it's not if it's not uh, too distracting. We'll we'll see how loud it is. Um, it plays underneath your words uh, well. Oh, perfect. Kind of offsets yeah, it. Yeah. The live score, <laughs> live music. Know. We're doing it right now. <laughs> right now. No, um, we're uh, not conflicted about this. Uh, sorry. I, just how old are your daughters so that we... Oh, four and six. Yeah. Newly four and newly six. We want to cultivate um, their creative expression. I, I I don't think... I don't know any, any artists who are conflicted um, about um, whether or not venues, for example, in New York City should be open. I think uh, we feel it's devastating, but I... I my friends that I know realize that it's the you know the right thing to do to protect to protect people. Yeah. Um, even though it's profoundly sad, and I have to also say that the church uh, the, uh, that I work with, um, Church of the Avenue Hope, we're not conflicted about it either. It's again, it's horrible to not be together, but we have no question that it's, that it's the right thing to do. Um, but it is, but it has been surreal because being physically together is such an important part of um, certainly. Uh, any musical experience, whether in a church context or just in a, in a music club or on Broadway, I actually um, I attended what might be the last Broadway show for quite a while um, on the last night before before Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah, before mm-hmm. it was reported that he had Corona, and then you know I don't think that had to do with it, but you know the dominoes started falling pretty quick. <laughs> I walked out of the theater and I looked up on the billboard in Times Square and said Tom Cruise has the coronavirus. And for some reason that symbolically was significant to my head. I said, you know what? I think this is actually going to be even worse than a lot of us feared. And I lived with a doctor and she was telling me for a long time it was going to be bad. But I think I even had a, a bit of a new insight about how just bad, this, how bad this is going to be. But yeah, I went to the last, um, a friend of mine was playing in um, uh, Jagged, which is incredible. Uh, and I, I, I'm eager to go back when it when it's safe to reopen that show. And I saw something I'd never seen before on Broadway, which was a standing ovation in the middle of an act. Wow. It was not, you know, it was not, uh, you know, it, there was no curtain call, but people an extended standing ovation just after someone finished their solo. It was very moving. I almost think people knew. They were savoring this because they knew that this might not happen for a while, maybe just subconsciously. I don't think we nobody knew, except maybe the governor and the mayor, that the Broadway was going to close the next day. But, um, you know, I think that, that experience of uh, being together in the same room, of being grateful for those who are creating experiences that we can all share in and that can kind of that can resonate with us in particular ways, but also kind of remind us of our transcendent connection with one another as human beings. Um, you know, there, there, I have not found any equivalent to that online. Um, so, you know, beautiful things are happening online, but it's also bittersweet because it reminds, it reminds us of what's not happening as well. Um, and that's just, you know, at the kind of community aesthetic experience level. Um, you know, there's, there's other, uh, uh, worse pain, you know, people lost loved yeah. ones in the, some of the economic devastation. But just as an artist, there's also this this particular kind of pain that we can't uh, facilitate or experience that that kind of community. I think that that's very different from you know 9/11. I wasn't in New York City then, 
Um, but, you know, people flocked together after 9-11 to grieve together. And we are grieving apart. And I think that's really difficult. Well, you mentioned uh, Broadway show, and I think you talking about the um, ways that you have explored to perform um, via Zoom um, for your community um, reminds me of the last Broadway show that I saw, which was a couple of weeks ago, um, or actually more than a month now, uh, which was Buyer and Seller, and it was... um, uh, performed by Michael Yuri, who came back to do this special benefit for uh, the Broadway community online. And it was literally all shot in his living room, his apartment <laughs> in, in New York. Um, and sure. it was a riveting hour and a half full performance of the play um, with just a few props um, including the Barbara Streisand uh, um, My Passion is Design book that the whole conceit of the play is based on. But it was fantastic, riveting. He made a few kind of mistakes during it. It was live, of course. But the video feed, uh, I think it was maybe just one camera, maybe two, um, uh, just was uh, fantastic. And And it was all through YouTube. And you could just watch it live by logging onto YouTube. So anyway, I, I am fascinated with the ways that this is perhaps, you know, these tools were available to us, but we weren't really, you know, forced to innovate. And um, I'd love to get your thoughts on how um, you see us kind of evolving the way that we uh, use technology um, to for creative expression down the road if you... Um, if you have yeah. ideas on that, um, you know, it's, I think it's, I think it's Marshall McLuhan. I think it's almost a cliche at this point, you know, the idea of the medium is the message. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, so you know, media is not uh, value neutral. It's not, uh, it, it, it isn't just, um, you know, an empty vessel into which you can pour and convey meaning and, uh, you know, it, it has it has a sort of it, um, unavoidable consequences, but I think, yeah, no, I I, I think the reason why, um, you know, I think technology, uh, it is the way we've been able to connect with one another, you know, online. I think that this suggests that there were a lot of things we weren't doing that we could have been doing already. I think in terms of accessibility, you know, despite all of the things that we you know, certainly are we, we're required to do um, in public spaces in, in New York City, uh, and, and it's good that we're required to do them, to make sure that Broadway theaters are accessible um, to people um, who, who are differently abled. But uh, despite all that, there are still people who can't go to the theater. You know, they may be homebound. Um, and I think, uh, or, or people that can't afford to, to fly to New York City, but they want to experience, um, you know, a Broadway show live. So I, I think that there are ways that we could be more inclusive and more accessible through technology, and we haven't been focused on on doing that. And now that we're thinking about connecting with everyone, we're realizing, oh, wow, we, we can, you know, we can include people that we that we uh, weren't including before, and that's certainly happening. Um, I, I think online artists are connecting with people they 
in a really direct way that they might not have been connected with before. Other communities, like church communities, are are able to include people in participating in a in a gathering who could not have uh, participated as easily before. Yeah. So I think there's there's lots of possibilities. I, I will say the other the challenge of the internet is that there is no, you know, every almost every corner of the of the internet is monetized and and branded and owned by large private companies and what that means is that you know one of my favorite stages here in New York City is um, Rockwood Music Hall and I my favorite there are all there are three stages I love them all my favorite though I think is stage one which you know I mean if you are want to smell the body odor of the person next to you, you can fit 70 people in there, but that's, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Um, but it's, it's small and it's, you know, a privately owned venue that's been here for a long time and they host incredible artists from around the world and, and, and incredible artists locally here. I don't think there's a, an equivalent of that online because on almost every platform, it's, you're not performing in a small privately owned club. You're performing in, you know, on Instagram or, yeah, you know, sure. on Zoom or some other corporate platform. And so what that means is that very little, uh, that's the intimacy. Um, uh, it's hard to replicate um, privacy. The privacy of a small in-person gathering is very hard to replicate. Um, and kind of, I think, the full humanity of people, being confronted with the full humanity of those with whom you're gathered is difficult to replicate. On the one hand, you know, but, the, but pros and cons, I guess is what I'm saying. I think we're going to have to just be be intentional about how we use technology going forward, more intentional than we've been. I love, for example, um, on Instagram Live, for example, or on Zoom, you know, you can interact directly with people, you can see their faces, you know, uh, when I have a Zoom meeting, everyone's face is the same size. So, you know, there's really no one's sitting at the right and left hand of the board chair, you know, now everyone is the same size. Yeah. So that has kind of a democratizing effect. I can also mute everyone with one but push the button. <laughs> so, and this is what we see. We, there's great possibilities for uh, inclusion and, and making arts and education and community more accessible to people. There's great opportunities for even more monopoly, monopolization of, you know, of content and even more centralized control and invasion of privacy and marginalization. So I, I think what I'm saying is I think we've underestimated the, the possibilities, but we're also seeing uh, just how big the risks are of, uh, you know, of changes that we are not necessarily uh, wrestling sufficiently with. Yeah. You know, I have one other um, topic that I want to cover with you, and that's collaboration, because I think the you know, we're moving into an age where we're really having to choose between kind of selfishness and individualism. And you see a lot of that behind the protest to reopen and, um, you know, community care and collaboration. And you've collaborated with an incredible artists like Grace Weber, Lynette Williams, uh, Joe Foreman, um, Sufjan Stevens, and, I just think that I, if you don't mind, I've always been curious how musicians collaborate because it seems like such a kind of special brew where, I don't know, uh, you're feeling each other out, seeing if there's some energy there. Uh, how does, could you like take us into a, like how you think about that? I mean, I don't want to reveal secrets or, you know, if this is like, no, you know, but it just seems secret. like a, 
it seems like those of us who um, you know, collaborate in other areas could maybe learn a little bit about how musicians do it because it seems so, um, you know, it seems so driven by the, you, by something that's not quantifiable. Yeah. I think, you know, performers and artists have egos just like everyone else. And, you know, people, uh, you know, people want to have a, uh, people, not everyone, but a lot of people want the spotlight. They want credit. You know, I, I, I'm certainly that all that's true of me. You know, as an artist, I'd, if you have something you want to say and something you want to sing and you want people to hear it, and, and so there's kind of an egoic aspect to all of that, if you're honest. Yeah. Um, to think that, like, what you say should matter to, you know, uh, any group of people other than, you know, your, your mom or, and, you know, maybe your close friends or partner or family. You know, to think that a larger group than that should care about creation <laughs> is, I think there, there's something, I think there's something profoundly uh, human about that, and that we're created. We have this impulse to share, and and and, and we feel like, hey, we we've, we've got something that I think resonates with with not only who I am but who you are. So I want to share it with you. So there's something about that that's beautiful, and then there's there's the ego part. With collaborations that work, um, what what I see, and this is the way I feel a, a, a lot of the time as well is that you're just glad to be part of something beautiful and it doesn't really matter how big a part you are or how small a part you are. And, and, and when it stops mattering exactly how important you are in the whole, then you can just enjoy being a part of the hmm. whole. And when you start enjoying just being a part of it, you start to realize that actually everybody, everyone who's a part of it is important. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, some of the people you mentioned, like, for example, you know, Stephen Stevens, I don't know him. He, does, he, he probably doesn't know who I am. I played on his record because a friend of mine was, or I played in the record of another person that was featuring Stephen Stevens because a friend of mine was producing the track, and he called me in to play violin. And so, you know, it was this really circuitous way that you end up, you know, playing on a track with an artist who you think is amazing. I think he's an amazing artist. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's kind of a sliding scale of things like that where you're, where you're a very small part and you're just thrilled to be part of it at all to, you know, where, um, you know, maybe I'll write a song, uh, with, with an artist. Um, you know, I mean, like Lynette Williams is a, a very close friend of mine, So we have a friendship that's, you know, that's uh, beyond just music and we also write together and perform together. And so collaborations can be very much also, uh, bound up with just friendships and relationships. Um, so there's all different forms. I think what 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 is true in all um, in all uh, effective collaborations is that it, they are much more fun and much more productive when we let go of uh, comparing the importance of our contribution or the amount of credit we're going to get to the importance of anyone else's contribution or the amount of credit they'll get. So when we just focus on the whole. Um, I had an experience recently, I guess I won't say, I won't specify, um, uh, two experiences, both with things that I was uh, involved in co-writing that were in different ways, you know, one kind of in the sacred music space and the other in, uh, in the pop music space. Um, you know, they, they were released and quite a number, quite a large number of people, you know, at least for me, from, my, from where I'm standing, enjoyed and resonated with the songs. And both songs underwent changes um that that uh, did not all reflect exactly 
you know, the, my first idea, let's say, for a lyric. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that both of those experiences and, and, and the, the final products were, were beautiful and inspiring, and I was thrilled to be part of them. And, and just being part of those, um, those, uh, those experience, those uh, songs, just having had a hand in, in them, uh, and then seeing that they, they meant so much to people, seeing how, how beautifully performed and produced they were, uh, it just reminded me that, that, you know, we all have uh, strong opinions, or at least m- most of the artists I know have strong opinions. But at the end of the day, it, it really is just so uh, tremendously uh, life-affirming and, and, that, and gratifying and, uh, and beautiful to be part of something. Uh, whether or not all of your ideas and make the final cut, it honestly doesn't matter. And I, you know, I, I thought a lot about that. And this is part of why I love co-writing uh, with artists. is because I, I, I realized that really, I, I just don't care what percentage of my suggestions are in the final song. Hmm. I, I really don't care. And, I, but, and, I've, and I've asked myself that a lot. Like, do I care? Do, I think I would care if nothing that I suggested <laughs> <laughs> shaped what people resonate with and what people enjoy. I would care about that because you, you want to be part of it. But I've realized that how big a part you are, it just really doesn't matter. But similarly, I enjoy singing to five people as much as I enjoy uh, singing for 5,000 people. I, I enjoy it equally as much, which is great because I sing <laughs> for five people more than I think for 5,000 people more often. So mm, yeah. I'm glad that's true, but it's just... And, uh, you know, I think... Um, we want to share things as widely as possible, but the best part about music is getting to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. And that, and there's just something tremendously comforting about that. I think you, know, you brought up individualism when we were talking before I think you started recording about some of these protests. There's something about kind of thinking about yourself primarily as an individual that, that, that leads to tremendous insecurity because we're all very vulnerable. Uh, as individuals, vulnerable of feeling isolated, vulnerable of, you know, what if we're abandoned, we can't survive, what if nobody likes me, what if, you know, what if I get sick, what if I lose my job, you know, the more we focus on, on ourselves as individuals, the more scared we are, the more afraid we are, and for good reason, if we, if we are truly mostly individuals, if we're truly mostly in this alone, then there is incredible risk at every turn, and while not minimizing the risks, if we recognize how much we are actually all connected whether or not we want to be we're connected and if we lean into that connection and if we become grateful for just being able to be a small part of something that is so much bigger than us and music's one of the one of the things that just reminds me that i'm part of something that's much bigger than me and when i get to be a small part of something beautiful that just reminds me how great um how great uh human beings can be and how um and how much and how little responsibility I have to make life as great as it is. I don't know if I'm making yeah. sense, but I, I guess the more I focus on how connected we are and how we get to be part of great things, the less I feel that I am personally on my own responsible to make life great. And the more I just am grateful that I get to be part of it. And in turn, that gratitude makes you want to contribute more uh, to the whole. But I think um, music is just a great way to rehearse that connection that we all have as human beings. And I think that is going to get us uh, through this time of uh, social isolation, fear, and, you know, a very real uh, disease that is um, 
yeah. harming uh, so many people. Well, it's been great talking with you. I want to mention your uh, EPs, Questions I Can't Answer, All We Own, and Promises I Can't Keep, uh, in case folks would like to uh, listen to something during their quarantine and any other time in their uh, experience. Um, thanks a lot, Nick. It's uh, always great to chat with you. Hey, thanks for, for talking. I always enjoy talking uh, with you. And, uh, you know, hopefully by recording it, uh, something will resonate uh, um, beyond just the two of us. And I appreciate <laughs> you hosting this conversation so that it can, uh, we can be part of that, of a broader conversation that, that uh, you and the Spectrum are hosting. I appreciate that. Absolutely. All, all the best to you. Stay safe. You too. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear.